Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Two Weird Hungry Girls podcast. I'm Phoebe, and I'm here with my co-host, Tracy. Hello. Tracy, I'm very curious. You always are. I am. About, like, what's going on in your kitchen. In my kitchen right now. Mm -hmm. I got to think about this. Do you bring, like, vegetables or fruits in and um, freeze them? Um, Sometimes freeze. Sometimes Mm -hmm. freeze things. Um, But I'm not very good at that. Actually, Michael's a good freezer, and I like to can things. You do? Mm -hmm. What's, like, one of the favorite things that you like to to can? Well, honestly, here's... here. Okay, well, see, I sound like I'm a big, like, ooh, I'm a big canner. I'm not, but I have all the equipment because I was really into it for a bit. But making different jams was my favorite thing, and I would go you know, nuts for a day and just, you know, cook it, can it. And Mm -hmm. then I would have to take pictures because it was so pretty. Did you do it as gifts for the holidays or did you do this for your family at home? Both. Both. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I know my sister-in-law, she also does a lot of that. She has a humongous garden. So she, and, and she has the know-how, like she does preserve more than just jams. Um, I wanted to do cherries one time and peaches one time, but, um, I just was stuck on the jam. Mm -hmm. So you did a lot of jam canning. I did. And then I thought, oh my God, that's all I can do. And then I just threw my hands up in the air and said, I've reached my my pinnacle and that's it and so and that was it yeah that was it that was it sadly you know a lot of people will do canning and they they start it because they're excited that their grandmother did it or their mother did it and they buy all of the equipment and they do it for one summer and they're like heck no too (laughs) hot in the kitchen I'm never doing it again I well see I like I like all of that. I liked all the the heat. I didn't mind that. And I liked submerging everything and, and then I liked, you know, the timing and then you take it out and I like hearing the little pops Pop. and stuff. Yeah, um but for whatever reason I just uh I think when I would undertake this whole thing it was like I had to have five pounds of strawberries, and I had to have that. Like I had to go pick them somewhere. It wasn't enough to just go buy stuff at the mm-hmm. store. I had to, I had to go all in, which was a mm-hmm. little bit crazy. So I think I, in my mind, it, I bit off more than I needed to. And uh, even though I went with it for a little bit, and I really did have fun with it, um, I created a monster in my head about yeah. about getting involved. Mm-hmm. with that. So it didn't last very long, but when it did, I really enjoyed it. Oh my goodness. I bet Why? that that is the story that our special guests hear all the time about canning. We have a special guest. We do have a special oh, guest. I'm so excited. <laughs> you thought it was just you and I, <laughs> just the two of us just the two of talking us. about canning, but I have a very special guest and I know you're going to love her. Yes. Um, we have Marisa McClellan. She's a blogger, an author, and she's a canning teacher. I think she does private classes. Well, she might. We'll Ooh. find out. <laughs> she's based out of her 80-square-foot center city Philadelphia apartment, and she makes... Yes. 80 yes. square feet? And she makes amazing recipes, which I hope we get to a, a lot of them. I'm sure we will. But she's the author of Food in Jars. Food in Jars! Yes. <laughs> Preserving the Pint. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally Sweet Food in Jars is her most recent cookbook. Ooh, I want to talk about that. Yes. So, Marisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. 
So I'm so excited. I think um, Tracy is very interested in the fact that you are doing so much work out of your small 80-foot square foot kitchen. Yeah, help me out with this because I'm terrible with spatial relationships. So 80 square feet is like how big? Is that like bigger than... Is that bigger than a minivan? Um, I would say that my kitchen is probably about the size of a minivan, if not a little bit smaller. Think about like a good size walk-in closet, and um, you'll you'll have a pretty good idea of wow. the size. Yeah, it's you know it is it has it is a kitchen that works really hard and serves me well, and it's a galley kitchen, so it's laid out really efficiently. You know, I have two walls of countertops, so it 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 is better than it could be. It really does do. Um, a lot. And I feel really grateful to have it, even though I, you know, I sometimes fantasize about having a giant kitchen with yards and yards of counter space, but it, it does, it works. I can, you know, I can do just about anything in there. And I always tell people, you know, if I can do it in my little kitchen, anybody can do what I do. So everything that you do with food in jars comes out of that little kitchen. Absolutely. How do you shop season? Yeah. Living in the city we are so lucky to have a ton of farmers markets. I live um, two blocks from Rittenhouse Square here in Center City, Philadelphia, and there is a year-round farmers market there on Saturdays. Um, this time of year, it's like from nine thirty to three. The hours are a little shorter in the winter, but I can go over there and get all manner of wonderful in-season local produce. They're, they've got meat, there's seafood, um, baked goods. It's really a very full service market. So I've got that. Um, I when I don't when I miss mm-hmm. that, I can always go to Reading Terminal Market. Um, on Sundays, there's a farmers market called Head House at Head House Square, which is amazing. Um, and and then there's lots of other places around the city to get local produce. And then some days when I want to have that sort of rural experience, I'll drive out to New Jersey and pick blueberries or peaches or raspberries, whatever is in season right then. So I am not hurting for produce. Do you think it's important when you're doing canning to buy in season versus grabbing cherries when you see them out of season, I don't know, in, in the winter? Does it make a difference in the flavor? I am... I think it makes a difference in the flavor and it also makes a difference in, in affordability because, you know, I get a question a lot from people about does canning really save you money? And my response is always it can, but you have to do it thoughtfully. And one of the ways that a thoughtful preserver saves money is that they um, buy when something is in season, when it's abundant. And so, you know, it's that mm-hmm. sort of um, buy low, sell high mentality that you're going to buy the produce when it's in season and it's at its most affordable. And then, and then the sell high part is then you get to eat it and enjoy mm-hmm. it when it's no longer in season, when it's precious. How do you take the fear out of canning? Like Tracy has been there and has done it and has invested in all of this equipment. So she's done it before. Some people aren't in that place and they're afraid of that cost of investment of equipment and time. Um, and you know, when you invest in seasonal fruit and a recipe doesn't work out, sometimes you become discouraged. How do you take the fear out of canning? Yeah, a lot of people are scared. What they're really afraid of, for the most part, when I talk to people, they're afraid that they're going to make something and um, tuck it away in their pantry or their basement, and they are going to um, 
You'd yeah. be cultivating a home for botulism and that they'll develop this deadly, deadly neurotoxin, you know, in their pantry and that they'll share their home preserved <laughs> foods with friends and family and that right. two weeks later they won't have any friends and family left. Like that's the big that. fear, you know, <laughs> yes, that you're going to wipe out the neighborhood. And uh, the, the thing to know about that is that botulism cannot grow, cannot develop in high acid foods. And the foods, the preserves that we um, can in a boiling water bath canner if you're following a tested recipe or using a recipe from a reliable source, those recipes are going to be high in acid. The recipe writer will have done that, sort of been aware and conscious of the acid content, and they're going to create recipes for you that are safe to can in that boiling water bath that are going to be high in acid. So, um, you know, all of our jams, they are very high in acid because fruit naturally has a high acidic content. Yeah. So um, I just made apricot jam today, and it was a two-ingredient jam. It was apricots and sugar, and I knew that that was safe because those apricots mm are very high in acid. And the way we know that something is high in acid is by its pH. So, you know, if you have a scientific bent, you can know that as long as a a food has a pH of 4.6 or below, then it's considered high in acid. And there are pH charts on the internet that you can go and look up sort of the average pHs of different fruits and vegetables and go, ah, yes, this one, it's high in acid. I can safely can that in a boiling water bath canner. Because um, when we're talking about botulism, what we're really concerned with as canners are the spores which exist in our soil. And they are completely inert until you do a few things to them. You trap them in an oxygen-free environment. You store that oxygen-free environment at room temperature and that oxygen-free environment is very low in acid. And so anytime we can something, we are intentionally designing a jar, a vessel that will be oxygen free because that's one of the ways that we preserve it by venting out the oxygen during that boiling water bath canning process. And we are designing right. it to store at room temperature because that's the whole point. You want to get these things out of your refrigerator and out of your freezer and onto the shelf. But as long as you've had, got a lot of acid in there, it acts as an inhibitor and you oh. will never, ever have botulism growth. You know, things can go wrong. You can have mold, but it's never, nothing will, <laughs> nothing that can kill you will happen mm-hmm. as long as you have a lot of so, acid in your jars. Um, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> that is good. Yes. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. but it, it, the key then is to use really trusted recipes because I'm not going to go and buy pH test strips. You're probably not either, Tracy. That's too much to remember. No. no. Yeah. So use trusted recipes. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't actually advise mm-hmm. people to go out and get pH test strips. Yeah. You really just want to use recipes from sources that you trust, whether it's, you know, um, a cookbook from Ball or it's one of my cookbooks or it's the National Center for Home Food Preservation. Most of the people who are writing canning cookbooks out there are very aware of the safety implications mm-hmm. and requirements to be safe. So, you know, you don't find a lot of recipe writers out there. You know, it's not a good idea for a cookbook author to kill off their um, audience because they're not going to be real successful. So you work real hard to make sure that, you know, you write a book that where the recipes are going to be safe. (laughs) Do you have any favorite um, recipes in particular? So if someone picks up the book, I love that the newest cookbook, um, the Naturally sweet food in jars, um, gives options for yeah. people who are really concerned about sugar, which is sometimes something that prevents people from starting yeah. um, to do preserving. Are there favorite recipes that you have? I think I saw something about a watermelon and a beet ketchup. Yes. I mean, I love everything in that book, but there, there's a watermelon jelly sweetened with agave syrup, agave nectar that's really delicious. And what's nice about it is that I use a product called Pomona's Pectin to get a set and um, it doesn't. It requires fairly short cooking times, so you don't lose the flavor. And so, with that watermelon jelly, it really just tastes oh like gosh. the essence of watermelon. 
Um, which so I love that one. I mean, apricots are in season right now. There's a recipe in the book for a um, honey sweetened oh. roasted apricot jam that is so good because oh, yeah. the edges of the apricots caramelize a little bit in the oven, and the honey gets sort of syrupy and the whole thing. You just kind of mash it up and put it in jars, and it's mm-hmm. that so so amazing. good. How how do you bring when you talk about things like watermelon, a lot of times people will put it in the kitchen um, and you can use it for smoothies, for drinks, for summer. I wouldn't think to use it. I mean, watermelon rind is traditionally in a lot of canned recipes. Yeah. So when you have foods like that in the kitchen and you have children that are sometimes um, eating all of these fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. like blueberries by the handful mm-hmm. or watermelon, how can you get children interested in cooking and canning in the kitchen with you? Do you have any tips on that? I just think anytime kids are involved in the process, they develop a sense of ownership about whatever's being made and they will, they will want to eat it. They will want to try it. They want to participate in the process. Um, I don't have any kids myself, but I have a a five-year-old nephew and a two-year-old nephew and I visit them a lot and we cook together. And it's amazing what my older nephew will eat that he wouldn't touch, but if he had a role in playing in cooking it, he's going to be all about it. And the same goes with canning. And so that even though you certainly don't want kids around like a big boiling water bath canner, there's a lot that they can do in terms of helping prep the food, um, in terms of like perhaps once the jars are filled, you can, Mm -hmm. if they're older, they can wipe the rims for you. Um, Watching the clock, yeah, that's always a good acti- activity for kids to say, okay, so we're going to set this for 10 minutes. It needs to boil. So first we need to watch yeah, for the steam. Yeah. Can you tell me when the steam starts to come out of the pot? Okay, great. You know, And then talk about the timing. And so there are just a lot of ways that they can be a participant. You know, As a kid, I canned with my mom, and we made blueberry jam every year. And my favorite thing mm-hmm. was to help crush the berries. Because yeah. I'd get my hands in there and squeeze those blueberries. And it's yeah. very tactile and you get to make a mess and and it's oh, fun and you're it. helping. It's, I'm, I, as you're describing this, I'm completely picturing all of that. When I was doing my little jams or whatever, um, my kids were much smaller. But now I, I kind of I have this idea that that would be really cool to let my older son is really into cooking. And this would be just another, you know, another avenue for him. Yeah. And home preserves make really great teacher gifts. And so if the kids had a role in helping make them, they're yeah. going to be so excited yeah. to give them to their teachers you know, teacher for the holidays or something. I really take anything homemade. Oh, she doesn't. <laughs> well, she, she's a little oh, wary, no. but I, you know. I, but no, I made, that's that's one of the things I did with mine. I have to show you a picture because I made them so pretty. I, I, I made them all crafty. But we'll have yeah. to put them on the, on the blog post yeah. for this episode. <laughs> Um, so I think what you do, um, Marisa, with your book is you kind of take out the um, fear of canning because they're tr- traditional recipes or recipes that can be trusted. And it sounds like what you do is you break it down so people don't feel like they need to buy 20 pounds mm-hmm. of fruit, that you can just do literally a few jars at a time. Oh, absolutely. You know, we don't live on the farm anymore for the most part. People don't need to can to get through the winter. They just need to can because they want to. And so it's not about making vast quarts and quarts. It's really, for me, about just making, you know, a few jars, something to give, something to keep, and um, really breaking it down. In my second book, Preserving by the Pint, 
every recipe in that book starts with just like a pint or a quart or a pound or two of produce so that you can be in and out of those recipes in less than an hour and still have the satisfaction of having made something. Perfect. Wonderful. So Marisa, how can people find you? Online, I am at foodandjars.com on Instagram, on Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook. I'm all food and jars. So Facebook is foodandjars.com slash foodandjars. Um, you know, if you look for food and jars, yeah, yeah. it's going to be me. So wherever, whatever social Those media so platform Tracy, you prefer. Just, so we can find you at foodandjars.com. And of course, links to all of those other social media outlets. So thank you so much for um, sharing your time and inspiration in the kitchen. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm just tickled that we got to talk. Oh, thank you you so much. This was such a pleasure. (laughs) So find Marissa again at Food and Jars. Um, Grab one of her cookbooks. They would make a wonderful gift too, especially for someone who talks about wanting to do Mm -hmm. canning, but is too scared to try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thank you so much for tuning in. And we really appreciate uh, our listeners. Leave us some feedback. Let us know what you think, what you'd like to hear more of. And you can do that in iTunes or at phoebespurefood.com. And that's where you can find me for recipes, local eating destinations, and just fun things to do in the Lancaster and Berks County area. So thank you for tuning in. Again, thank you, Marisa and Tracy. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.